Over the course of 2020, we did so much cleaning at our house. Did you guys do that too? Like there's this standard, you know, spring cleaning that you do and you're like, you're cleaning out cabinets and closets and, and, and you're, you know, reorganizing things. And we started there like everybody else, but then ours kind of took on a life of its own. So then it became like, we did like spring cleaning and then it became like late spring remodeling. And so you might remember I told a lot of stories. Like I just ripped out both of our bathrooms and completely remodeled them uh, on a budget and did it very, very, uh, like it was every day. It was like, it was like, well, you know, what are we gonna do today? I don't know, let's just, uh, you know, just tear the floor out and let's put in a new floor, like every day. So, but then the remodeling turned into summer like construction. And so then I'm like, you know, our house needs to be roofed. And so like we like scraped all the, you know, shingles off, put new shingles on, rebuilt the shed. There's something about cleaning that is just refreshing, isn't it? And I love a spring cleaning. I love getting into a project and finding the opportunity to make something new and make something fresh. And you probably experienced that some in 2020 yourself. Why? Because we were stuck at home. We had nothing to do. We're like, if I got to look at this ugly wall one more time, I'm painting you. And if you painted a room more than once, the same room more than once over COVID-19, I understand. Because you just got to get it fresh. You got to get it clean. We experience this in a lot of ways in our life. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I went to the dentist every six months. Anybody a six-month dentist person? I just go because they tell me to. They're like, hey, your appointment's in a week. I was like, oh, I must have scheduled that, right? And you go, and there's nothing quite like rubbing your tongue on those clean teeth for that first few minutes before you go get a milkshake. You know, and it's just like, mm, it's just refreshing. Or maybe you're someone who likes to keep your yard super clean, and you're always out there mowing and organizing and putting mulch down and doing all kinds of things. I remember the first day of school being a refreshing day. I didn't like summer ending. But I loved it when I had a brand new notebook. Any type A people out there might understand this. Brand new notebook. The spiral wasn't even all bent up yet. You know what I mean? Like you could still spin that thing. You had the brand new pencil, it had only been sharpened once, if that. And the erasure was still pink and nice and square. Like you felt like you were gonna get straight A's. Like this is before I went to detention at all, before I failed a test I didn't study for. Like this is a clean start. Something refreshing about a cleansing, fresh start. We're in a teaching series that we're now in the, week, the second week of called Lost Arts. And it's kind of based on this idea that there are like these, I don't know, skills and hobbies and things that are kind of being lost to culture. Things like uh, family farms and having a big garden where you can all your vegetables or making homemade clothes or building things with hand tools. Like these are things that... There are people that do, there are people who write letters, you know, and actually put a stamp on them and mail them. There are people that do that stuff, but it's a dying and a lost art. In the same way, I think there are things in our world that are spiritual lost arts. What are the things that God values that our culture does not value? There's a long list. Last week, we looked at the idea of patience. And I apologize for preaching on patience. Everyone is like, oh man, pay. but guess what? I also am glad that we did because it's something we all need and we learned last week that it is a measuring stick for our faith. Like how much patience we have says a lot about how much we're able to trust God in, in a given moment. Patience. And there are a lot of these lost arts. We're going through six of these through the whole series. And today our lost art, I'm going to go ahead and just kind of lay it out there just like last week, rip off the band-aid. Something that God values very, very much, that our culture values very, very little, is purity. Purity. There might not be anything that our God values as much and our culture hates as much as purity. We live in a world of obscene 
and vulgar and crude. And you look at the top movies and top comedians and the top TV shows and the way that they make their money is by getting rid of purity. But it might be the one single thing that God values most. And that's, that's a big step to say that, and I'm not sure if it's 100% true, but it's up there. Purity's a big deal. But purity is kind of hard to find and define because, like, purity who are you to tell me what it is to be pure I mean we have a a moving scale of purity in our life it's a moving target like there are things that at my house we just don't do okay so we had a kid that used to come to our house sometimes a neighborhood kid he had kind of a foul mouth and he'd come up he'd be like just talking 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 I'd be like oh man okay we got to deal with this so I remember going to him like hey buddy come here listen uh just a, a couple things first of all I'm so glad you're here you're welcome to come hang out at our house secondly though there are just some some things that we don't scream out of the tops of trees at our neighbors we just don't do that and so like for example and I like this phrase and he was like oh and so the thing is it's completely fine at his house to say those phrases here's the thing about the moving target of purity though it's difficult because there's also some things I know that my kids have been to people's houses and there's things that we say and are okay with that my kids have come home be like oh we said that and we shouldn't have said that you know it's like you're like what was that thing that his kids said wouldn't you like to know a bunch of potty mouths at my house and but you know what I mean like everyone's family target is different everyone's personal idea of what is acceptable and what is okay and what is evil and what is not acceptable it's a moving target what is purity I got a couple things I want to use to illustrate purity today and the first one I have is this water this is a bottle of water you probably had some of this or probably you probably all need to drink one right now we're all dehydrated water now it is easy for me to describe pure water it's clear uh, tastes good it's healthy I can drink it but what is pure water it's easier for me to tell you what's not pure water like I can look at that and say well that's sewage like we don't drink that it will kill you like it's easy for me to tell when something's not pure but what is okay it does it have to be bottled water and if it's bottled should it be distilled or purified like which one and is it reverse osmosis or like how are we purifying this water like there's a lot of scale I've been to our local water purification plant I've seen it it's a big process we have clean drinkable water but we also have something that called gen x and that there's people in our city who won't drink our water Um, and so it's like wait even our drinking water isn't drinkable so what is a moving target there's a moving target of purity when it comes to water I have spent time in West Africa and in, Cent- in South America where, um, you know, there's water that we wouldn't drink, but the locals there drink it all the time and it's fine. And you've got to kind of adapt, you know, I don't know if it's bacteria in your stomach and different things to be able to drink this water. And so we wouldn't drink that, but to them that's fine water. But then there's other places where this water nobody drinks because anyone who drinks it is sick. This idea of a moving target of purity makes it really complicated for water. Fortunately, we have a pretty good system. Um, but, but when it comes to God, what's the standard? Like, how do I decide what's okay? Can I watch this Netflix show? Can I have this conversation? Can I say this word or do that activity? What's the standard? It's a moving target. What does God say? That's why purity is so hard to find in our society, I think, largely. Because we could say, well, a pure person is like a person who doesn't hurt other people. Like, they're good people. Sure. 
That's good. Or purity could mean just staying out of trouble, like you don't break the law and you don't go to jail. So like you're a pretty good person. Or purity means don't say bad words, don't watch naughty movies, like see the scale is moving. Or purity means don't judge me for what I do, mind your own business. Like your purity can be your purity, let my purity be my purity. So there's a lot of things. Every week we love to look at the Bible for answers to life's most important truths. And so if you've got a Bible today, we're going to be reading a lot of Bible today. If we're going to try to find some purity and find out what God has to say about it, we need to look to the Bible. Grab one if you've got one. I encourage you to look it up on your phone. And uh, we're going to start in the Old Testament. We're going to start in a passage in Psalm chapter 119, uh, written by King David. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. So if you have a paper Bible, there's a good chance it's actually almost in the very center. That's a fun game to see if you can land at 119. If you're really bored and you need a game, there you go. Uh, Psalm 119, and we're going to be looking at what King David asks in Psalm 119, starting at verse uh, 9, I believe. He asked the same question I'm asking here. He said, how can a young man keep his way pure? Isn't that a good question? How can a young woman keep their way pure? How can an old man keep his way pure? An old woman. How can we... Keep our way pure. David has a solution. He says, well, we do it by living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. So for David, there is a standard for purity, and it begins by understanding what God's word on a topic is. What does God have to say about it? I'm going to adopt that standard for today. It's one I've been trying to adopt for my life. And I want to invite you to do that with me as well. God's word can set the standard for our purity. He says we should read it. We should hide it in our heart. We should meditate on it. In fact, if you read a good chunk of Psalm chapter 119, there's a lot of really good advice about finding purity using God's word. That's a start. And the thing is, when you read through the Old Testament, if you take your Bible and you flip all the way back to near the beginning, particularly around the book of Leviticus, you'll find that when it comes to purity, God has a lot to say. For the Jewish culture, the concept of, of being clean was a really big thing. It was actually part of their religious system. Ceremonially clean was a status you could have. You were either ceremonially clean or you're not, you're ceremonially unclean. Being ceremonially clean means you can take part in religious practices. So for example, when someone wanted to go to church, church is a whole other thing, that's the New Testament, we'll call it church, but they wanted to go to the temple or they wanted to go to a place that was considered a sacred place, they needed to make sure that they were ceremonially clean. And there's a lot of stuff that you can read, we're not doing a sermon today on what does it mean to be ceremonially clean in, in, in Judaism, but the idea is it was a big deal to God. And, and the big deal for God was, was, I want you to prepare yourself for being with me. And if you get to a place where you're not clean, I've got a plan for that. There were ritual washings you could do. There were things, prayers that you would say. There was time that you would spend away from a certain thing. Like there was a way. It wasn't God's goal just to keep you away. It was God's goal that you would prepare your heart, prepare your mind, and prepare even your body for a worship experience. I think the reason this was such a big deal is this. Because our God is not a casual God. In modern Christianity, God's our buddy, okay, and, 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 and we, we want to be all buddy-buddy with him. But here's the thing, God's not your drinking buddy. God's not your, your friend to go be flippant with. It doesn't mean we can't share our minds and our hearts with God. God is not a casual God. What God is, God is a holy God. 
God is set apart from all other things. It's not as if there's just a list of important things in life and God is on that list. It's that he is a whole other category of being. So when he instructs us on what it means to be pure, he's basing it on this. I have a standard. This is the standard. And anything beyond that is not my standard. God is not a casual God. God is a holy God. I'm curious, as we got ready for church today, how many of us prepared ourselves for worship? I was convicted by this myself last night. I read over my sermons on Sunday night, Saturday nights, and, uh, and I prepared myself last night. I cheated. I had the heads up. How often I will stay up late on a Saturday night and watch TV, hang out, do whatever. It's very common for people to kind of party on Saturday night and then show up at church on Sunday morning. It's very common for us to just roll out of bed on Sunday morning and barely make it on time. Maybe 15 minutes late, if I'm honest. We've been doing this a long time, right, friends? (laughs) And how much preparation can you do in that time to encounter the living God? Caveat, okay? I want to be clear. You don't just worship God for like an hour on Sunday. This is a daily process. But if we've set aside a day of our week to come and worship, man, if we look at the examples we're given in Scripture, people prepared themselves. It was called consecrating yourself. They took time. Like people literally were like, I'm going to take a bath because I need to go to worship. Or I need to avoid this activity. Maybe it's not a sinful activity, but it's an activity that would make me ceremonially unclean. For example, having to bury something that's dead. If you had a, a cow that died on your farm, you know, whatever. And like that would make you ceremonially unclean. They'd be like, well, I got to worship tomorrow, so we're going to wait till after worship and do that. Because they understood that God was not a casual God. In fact, when we see the people in the Old Testament get in trouble the most, it's because they've decided to be casual with God. I'm a preacher preaching in a t-shirt right now. You see that our culture has shifted a long way from vestments and robes and big cathedrals and all that. And there's a part of that that really relates to our modern sensibilities. You know, oh man, I just love Jesus as my my homeboy and like I'm going to hang out with him. There's a part of that. We're going to get to that in a minute. There's a part of that. But at the core of who God is, he is holy. We can't have a conversation about purity and discovering it as a lost art without understanding who God is, or at least doing our best. How can we we truly understand God? The water analogy breaks up when it comes to God's holiness. This is why. Because um, I can drink this water, clean bottled water that says, uh, purified drinking water, thirst quenching refreshment. It's good marketing, they did a good job on that. Harris Teeter, well done. Um, Here's the thing, but I could like put some dirt in this I'm not going to, that'd be nasty, but I could, and I could still drink it. It would be like 99% pure water. I could add a little bit more stuff to it and be a little bit less pure, but it would still be drinkable. There's a scale of pure water, anything from 100% pure to like 0% pure, there's a scale, but it doesn't work that way with God. God, there's no such thing as 99% holy. You're either fully set apart or you're not. And there's a problem because we have something called sin in our lives. And when our sin interacts with a holy God, it cannot exist. So this analogy is great. I don't want to throw it out. 
but it's, 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 it's imperfect. There's, there's, a, there's a breakdown in the analogy. So I want to give us another analogy. This is a flashlight. The analogy is light. I need new D batteries. But it's there, I promise. Here's the thing about light. Light is to holiness as darkness is to sin. Darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. I've got spotlights on me right now. Now, there's shadows, there's shadows, but if we got a light and we shined it, if I had a brighter light, it'd be more impressive. I could make the shadows go away. Darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. And this is why so often in scripture, God's presence is described as light and sin is described as darkness. I wanna take a look. We're gonna be flipping over to the New Testament now. We're gonna be looking in the book of John, the gospel of John. And uh, we'll be in several places in John in just a minute. But we're gonna start at John chapter one, verse four. And this is uh, the apostle John and he's writing this letter and he's describing Jesus. And when we get to John chapter one, verse four and five, he says this, in him, he's talking about Jesus, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. This next sentence is one of my favorite ones in the entire Bible. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness cannot exist in the presence of light. I've heard it said there's no such thing as darkness. It's just the absence of light. Darkness isn't its own thing. It's just a void. It's an emptiness until you fill it with light. God's presence is light. So, so don't miss this next sentence because it brings it all together. We're talking about purity today. We're talking about a lost art in our culture because the standard of purity is a moving target. But if you're seeking God with your life, that changes. The target changes because now God's holiness is the target. God's holiness is unrivaled. God is the standard for our purity. His light his presence. That's why sin's a big deal. Not because, not because God's a stick in the mud and he, wants, and he wants to shut us down all the time and he's always trying to you know, beat us up and he's always trying to uh, make us not have any fun, but because with sin in our life, we can't be in God's presence. Because our sin is equal to darkness and his presence is equal to light and they can't coexist, what do we do? What do we do? I think our goal is to reclaim the lost art of purity. I wanna take a look at another place in scripture here as we keep going. And we are going to uh, keep going into John chapter one. And now we're gonna be in verse 19 because God has a plan for our impurity. He's got a plan for our brokenness. He's got a plan for our, um, our, 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 our sin. And his plan, put simply, is Jesus. Jesus is the plan for that. And so he talks about this in uh, John chapter one and it's all out throughout the book of John. We're gonna get to John chapter one starting at verse 17. He says, actually it might be verse 19. He says, this is the verdict. The light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So this thing of purity being a problem, like that's not new, okay, it's not new, but keep going. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his, his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plain that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So God has an issue here. He wants us to drag our darkness into his light. He wants us to have an opportunity to become purified. 
And so I'm going to switch devices here because my iPad quit telling me what my sermon was, but here we go. There's a great paradox. There's a great paradox to God's holiness, and this is the paradox, okay? God's holiness is untouchable. Darkness cannot exist in his light. If our darkness goes into his presence, we see it happen in scripture, like people die. You can't be in the presence of God. But here's the paradox. Even though we can't be over there, God invites us in. He says, come in to my holiness. Come be a part of that. I've got a plan for that. He invites us and he exposes our darkness so that we can find his light. And he says, listen, I'll tell you what, if you will trust me, if you will come to me, I'll tell you what, my light will not kill you. It'll do the opposite. It will bring you life. Because though the expectation of God is purity, the gift of God is grace. See, the standard's been set, and we can't reach that standard. It's unattainable. And he knows that we'll never be able to match his purity. But he's also the creator. He makes the rules. And so he says, I'm going to make a way by which you can come into my presence and experience my glory and find purity. What does it mean to reclaim the lost art of purity? Uh, what I want to do now is I want to take some time to look at a big section of scripture. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2. Because this whole passage, like I wrote out a bunch of different things. I'm like, you know what? I can't write it better than the Apostle Paul. Let's just see what he had to say about this. And in Ephesians chapter 2, we get this whole picture. It's a front to end on what happens when God brings his light into our darkness. And so we're in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start at verse, uh, at verse 1. And this is what Paul says. First, he sets us up. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and all of us who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. So that's our life without Jesus in it. That's our life with, it's not a pleasant picture. He uses the word death, living for sin. He says that we're disobedient. He says we're living to gratify our flesh. That phrase has spoken to me a lot. Does that mean anything to you? The idea of gratifying your flesh. I'm just doing this to make me happy. Like that's kind of one of the roots of sin. And we deserve God's wrath, it says. This is impurity. And our impurity is incompatible with God's presence. But so, but we get to verse four, okay? So keep reading, verse four. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. That was that special invitation he gives. It is by grace you have been saved. So the expectation of God is purity, but the gift of God is grace. What is grace? It's unthinkable. It's unimaginable. Imagine thinking about like the most no account loser bum of a person that you know in your life, okay? And this is a, a failure, it's a deadbeat. This is a person that you're just like, I don't know that they're ever gonna make it. And then you're like, hey, and you call that person on the phone, you're like, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to move into my house. Just move on in. And I want you to eat all my food. In fact, I'm gonna let you take my last name and because I wanna, I wanna adopt you as my child. And I wanna make you an heir to all of my estate. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that with someone who was blatantly living against our values and not standing up for the things that we stand up for. But this is what God does for us. That's what grace is. He's like, you bums, 
Come on into my kingdom. Be part of the goodness that I have for you. Live in my house, take my name, become my heir. And then it keeps going to verse eight. He says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourself, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. It's by grace that we've been saved. It's not a gift that we can earn. It's something that he's given us for free. He's invited us into the house. He's allowed us to eat the food, to take the name, to get the inheritance. And not only that, he gives us purpose. I saved you by my grace so that you could do good works in my name. Purity is a lost art. In fact, it's probably the original lost art. Like if you go back in time and you find Adam and Eve and the fruit on the tree and all that, that that's the original lost art. The first sin, going against what God wants us to do. But it's not just 2001, uh, 2021. It's, it's all of time. It's all throughout history. And so God is not surprised when we are impure. He's not blown away. He's not scared of it. He's been dealing with people for a really long time. And so he offers us a way out of darkness and into his light. Now here's the thing, I'm gonna take a time out, okay? I just taught you what we generally call the gospel. God came to the world as a human named Jesus. He died on a cross, he rose from the dead, and if we put our faith in that, we can have eternal life with Jesus. My guess is, I don't think I'm going on too far of a limb here, my guess is that most of you have heard that story before. My guess is if you're watching at home, you've heard that story before. You know God has a plan for our darkness, you know God has a plan for our sin. If you are hearing this for the very first time today, praise God. I'm so glad that I get to share that with you. And I hope that you will dig in deeper. Shoot me an email, chris at jointheventure.com. Or if you're in the room today, come tell me after church. And I would love to get into the Bible with you and help me. And you've probably got questions, you've got things you want to deal with. But I think that by and large, if right now you're watching this service or you're here in person, you've heard the story of Jesus. So as I ask this question, we know this about God's holiness. We know this about God's grace. So what? Do you still struggle to find purity in your life? Is it just me? I'm thinking we do. Do you struggle keeping your thoughts in line with what God wants you to do? I'm not talking about like the deepest, darkest, vilest sin. Maybe you struggle with some of that too. I certainly have. And maybe it's the little things. Why is it? Why is it that even though we know the story of God's grace, and even though we know the goodness of God's holiness, we still struggle with it. The Apostle Paul knows all about this. He, he says that even though I want to do good, sin is right there with me, Romans chapter 7. It's nothing new. So what are we supposed to do with this information? I have a suggestion. Venture church family, Christians watching me online, all of us. My suggestion is that as we reclaim the lost art of purity, we just start doing it. We start making better decisions. And we know that we don't have to do this by ourselves. Two things, number one, when you come to Christ, he gives you the gift of his Holy Spirit. He's called our helper and our guide. Also the sin that we're guilty of, God's given us forgiveness for through the blood of Jesus, like that's been dealt with. There's also grace, that's one side. The other thing is this, I think we're guilty of this. I'd say God's not a casual God. I think a lot of times we get super casual with God and because of grace, we're willing to kind of just let sin pass, aren't we? I mean, you know, I'll just ask for forgiveness for this later. 
Like, that works. Is that how it works? You just... The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 6, he says, should we go on sinning so that grace should increase? No. My proposal is that we live in grace, but we seek purity because it is an act of worship. Let's look at a couple more passages of Scripture. The first one's from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. The Apostle Peter writes this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. That was that first few verses of Ephesians chapter 2 we read a minute ago where we were dead in our sin and transgression. Don't conform to those things when you lived in that stuff, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. We're called by Peter like, try. Do it. Make different choices. Cut things out of our life that are pulling us away from the holiness of God. Yes, we have grace to make up the difference, but man, what an opportunity to worship a holy God, to give him glory for the creation that he's given us. Another passage that's really helpful for me is one from Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four, starting in verse eight says this, and this is a list of things that can help us. He says, finally, brothers and sisters. So what am I supposed to do? He says, whatever is true. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Are we going to drop the ball? Are we going to fall short of that? Yeah, but the God of peace will be with you. He's not leaving us hanging. So let me ask you, how's that going? Can we put that verse back up there, just the first half of it? How's that going? How's it going, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure? Like, how's that going for you? Do you have a hard time focusing truth? The lies in our life often drown out the truth in our life. And it's actually, a lot of times when I'm helping someone go through, uh, like, through an addiction and, and finding some counseling for that and kind of things, one of the questions that is really powerful to ask ourselves whether it's anxiety or addiction or fear or sin, whatever it is, one of the greatest questions you can ask yourself is, what lie am I believing right now? The simplest one is, it's just okay. I can just do this, it's fine. But what lie are we believing? Because he says, focus on whatever is true. And that list is a great, but how's that going? How's it going for you? I hope that you can take this list, Philippians 4, 8, and 9, and like, let's make it a memory verse for our life. As we try to reclaim the lost art of purity, how's it going for you to getting the sinful habits out of your life? So that you can kind of rejuvenate that soil and let God's truth grow in you. How is the purification of the water in your life going? We can set up filters, you know? That's how you purify water. What comes in your eyes? What goes in your ears? Those things are going to help as to what comes out. It's been said the struggle is real, right? The struggle is, this is real talk, guys. This series, you haven't noticed, this is like, this is like a come to Jesus series. Like, it's like, hey, listen. The world's about to reopen. What church is the world going to see? Are we a bunch of people who are approaching a casual God casually? Are we a bunch of people who are serious about the work of his kingdom and what it can do in my life? I was looking through a blog that I found online 
uh, by a guy named Cliff Renner. I never heard of Cliff Renner. Maybe you know him. He has a website called stepstudyteach.com. But he said this about uh, pursuing a pure life. I really liked it. He said, a pure life is built choice upon choice. It does not magically appear one day after 20 years of being a Christian. No, purity is grown and maintained by the practice of inhaling and exhaling. Purity. He gives us a formula, and as I wrap up today, that's kind of what I want to give us today. A formula for practice. I said, let's try, right? Let's just, let's do our best. Let's train. Let's get into this thing. He says, inhale purity, exhale purity. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, inhale these things. Bring them in. We inhale that by feeding on the word of God. That's what we read in Psalm 119 at the very beginning. How does, a young man, how does a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Several weeks ago, we did a teaching talking about the, uh, the internalization of the scriptures, like just reading it, hiding it on our heart. But also conversing about it. Like some of my best Bible reading hasn't come out of sitting and reading a book, but like sitting with someone else who also read it, and we talked about it. Inhale, inhale, inhale purity. If God is holiness, we need to find ourselves in his presence as often as possible and breathe that in. But then we exhale purity. How do we do that? We exhale purity through our actions and through our words. The second half of our uh, Philippians passage, verse nine said, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Inhale God's truth, exhale with our actions. Inhale, exhale. Coming to church like this is a, a great way to do that, but doing it on a daily basis, and I wanna encourage this, as we prepare ourselves for a time of worship together on Sundays, maybe that could become part of our Saturday routine. Maybe, yeah, do a great Bible study with your family or whatever, but at the very least, go to bed at a reasonable hour and Pray yourself to sleep. Set the alarm clock a little early. Yes, so you could be to church to fellowship a little bit ahead of time, but not just to be like on time. That's just a constraint of society time, right? But, but so that your heart can be prepared. And so that you can take the time to be like, man, I'm about to be with other people. Lord, use me today. And before you go to work tomorrow, inhale, exhale. And before you deal with that client that drives you crazy and you want to wring their neck, Inhale God's purity, exhale it through your actions. And as you're parenting and you're about to flip your wig over something, inhale God's purity, exhale it through your actions. And I love that this passage says, and the God of peace will be with you. How often do you breathe? You doing it right now? You've been doing it quite a bit today, I noticed. What if trying to seek God's purity became like breathing for us? And you've all been in a smoke-filled room or standing next to a campfire smelling something that smelled bad, and you're like, oh, and, and, and what do you do? Get away from it. What if that became our practice for seeking God's holiness? It's a lost art, but it doesn't scare God. He offers us purity through Jesus, and he gives us this great community to grow with.
Let me pray for us today.